0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to Romans 6, and we're going to start in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, to follow along, we will have the verses on the screens. If you don't own a Bible and you'd like to... We can fix that. We've got tons of them. See somebody at the Connection Kiosk after the service. We'll give you one for free, and uh, we really enjoy doing that. So what are we doing tonight? Tonight, we're continuing uh, in our series. It's called The Disciple's Path, and that's where we're taking eight weeks to kind of sketch out a map of what it looks like to faithfully follow Jesus. Now, thankfully, God is a personal God who knows and loves each one of his children, So that means there will be some unique elements to each person's journey with Jesus. However, the Bible does teach that there are some specific trail markers along the path that every faithful Christ follower should seek to reach. So that's kind of what we're looking at as we go through these eight weeks. Last week, we talked about salvation, which is the first step on the path to salvation following Jesus. Salvation is a free gift which we receive by faith. Uh, We look at the Philippian jailer in Acts 16 when he cried out in desperation, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas answered him with five simple words, believe in the Lord Jesus. So this week we're going to examine the next milestone for those who want to follow Jesus and that is water baptism. Or, as a few of the young children around here have referred to it, as being baptized. Uh, I actually asked my five-year-old son, Max, today, I said, hey, buddy, what what is that called? You know, when we have the big silver uh, tub up in front of the sanctuary and everyone comes together and we put people down in the water and then we're bringing them back up. He says, yeah, 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 he interrupts me. Yeah, 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 you know, baptized. Baptized. Yeah, that's exactly right, buddy. That's what it is. I don't know if it makes us bad parents, but we don't correct stuff like that because we're just going to let it ride as long as we can get it because we think it's kind of cute. So yeah, he's not the only one though. Lots of the kids have come in and I don't know if it's because of the water they associate it with a bath, but yeah. So we are actually going to talk about baptism um, and, and I'm excited to do that. It's important that we acknowledge something here about this subject, but also this entire series. Let me read you something from Hebrews quickly. This is Hebrews 5, verses 12 through 14. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, there's probably some among us right now that need to learn about these milky, to use the the Hebrew terminology, or the the terminology from the book of Hebrews. uh, Some of these milky or basic topics for the first time, and that's good. That means people are coming to uh, faith in Christ and learning how to be a disciple. So subjects like salvation and baptism and church membership, they're going to serve them well right where they're at in their journey. But there are many of us who may be tempted to disdain or check out of a sermon or a series on some of these more foundational parts of what it means to follow Jesus. And there are likely people here who were saved and baptized decades ago. And so for them, this could seem like milk. And they want to chew on some meat, right? Or a juicy grilled portobello for our vegetarian and vegan friends. Whichever way, you know, the analogy can stretch either way. It's fine. But I want just to call our attention to the point of what the writer is saying in verse 12. Let me read that again. By this time, some of you ought to be teachers. You see, the path to following Jesus is a big loop. And every disciple of Jesus is meant to circle back around and lead others across the terrain they were led across by someone else. So what I would like to humbly submit to those of you who might see this series as milk is not to think of just whether or not you understand these things sufficiently for yourself, but do you understand them to the degree that you can teach them to others, that you can answer their questions and help them follow our Savior faithfully? The point here is that if we're kingdom-minded and others-minded, which I believe Jesus would call us to be, both of those, we will not perceive any sermon or series only through the lens of our personal preference— If we live by the royal law of love, we will rejoice that those who need to learn the basics of the faith will have the opportunity and we will be determined to learn them better, that we will be able to teach them when we have the opportunity. Right. The great hope is here that every single one of you that's been walking with Jesus for any amount of time is going to be put in a position that you're going to need to explain salvation to somebody, that you're going to need to explain water baptism to them, that you're going to be the one teaching them what it looks like, to follow Jesus. And so that puts us hopefully in a different frame of mind as we dive into the scriptures tonight on the subject of water baptism and everything that we're going to cover as we work through this series. That brings us to Romans 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 together, okay? So let's do that. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Praise God for his word. So let's look to God's word for answers to three questions tonight about baptism. Okay, uh, The first is, what is baptism? The second is, why are followers of Jesus baptized? The third is, how are we baptized? Okay, So the first thing we're going to tackle is, what is baptism? Baptism is an outward sign and symbol. It's almost a dramatization of what God has done in those who have trusted Jesus by faith. Let me read verse 5 again, and I'll show you why I'm saying that. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So we see here the, the language of symbol, right? That there's a likeness in what's happening in water baptism. It's likeness to something. Well, what does it say? That... We're being put down as Jesus was and being brought up as Jesus was. Okay? And so there's, there's symbolism in it, and it's it's in some way a reenactment uh, of what happened with Jesus to remind us of that, but also what's happened on the inside of us as Christ has changed us through his glorious gospel. So people disagree about the degree <laughs> to which baptism is a parallel. Uh, But baptism in the New Testament has a clear echo or reflection of circumcision in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm going to read you some scriptures here to tell you why I'm saying that. God told Abraham uh, that circumcision would be a sign of the covenant between them. Hear this. God said further to Abraham, this is from Genesis, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Okay? Now we're going to circle back to that a little later. It's going to be important in discussing how it is we're baptized. So baptism is not salvific in nature. What does that mean? That means it is not the act of baptism that takes someone from death to life or from darkness to light. Salvation, as we discussed last week, comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. This is why we say here often that baptism is not required for salvation, but it is required for obedience. That's an important distinction. One helpful example for us to understand how this could be true would be the interaction of Jesus with the criminal on the cross in Luke 23 what happened? Well, the man, first of all, declared he knew Jesus was innocent. You know, the other guy on the other side was hurling insults at Jesus with everybody else. But this other criminal, uh, he said, man, you fool, you should shut up. This guy hasn't done anything. We're suffering for what we've done. He's innocent. So first of all, he says that. And then that criminal, the smart one (laughs) who knows who Jesus is, he says, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus told him this. Today you will be with me in paradise. So what is the relevance to what we're talking about? This man only had an opportunity to trust Jesus by faith. And we see how Jesus responded to him. Today you'll be with me in paradise. See, he did not have the chance to be baptized. And it's clear from Jesus' words that this did not keep him from inheriting eternal life by faith in Christ. But if he, we should say this. If he had survived that crucifixion somehow and gotten down off of that cross, the thief, one of the first things he should have done would be to get baptized in a public declaration that he was a Christ follower. Amen. So baptism is an outward sign of the inward miracle that God does by raising those who are spiritually dead to new life in Christ. Baptism is also an ordinance given to us by Jesus, And this is the first answer to the question, why followers of Jesus are baptized. So we've talked about what baptism is. This leads us into why are followers of Jesus baptized. Here at Love City, we believe there are two ordinances that have been set forth by the Lord Jesus. These are baptism and communion. Now, you can think of these ordinances as very important kind of visual aids that help us to understand and cherish the truth of the gospel. These ordinances have three defining factors that set them apart. Those factors are that they were instituted by Jesus himself, they were taught by the apostles, and they were practiced by the early church. Now, in contrast to this, some of you may have been exposed to the language of sacraments. Many times in certain traditions, there'll be seven listed. Um, And you may have heard baptism and communion referred to as sacraments, okay? the major issue with that language is that it communicates salvific power, that there is salvation in these things. And indeed, in some traditions, sacraments are spoken of as vehicles by which grace is conveyed to the people. And this teaching is in exact opposition to the Bible's harmonious assertion that salvation is not a result of works, but grace through faith in Christ. Remember, like we said last week, Paul and Silas said this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, right? So it's very important that we don't add communion or baptism or any other so-called sacraments to salvation. God has made clear in his word that it is by grace through faith in Christ that we go from death to life and darkness to light. Very, very important. Now, all of that is true. However, we do believe Jesus commanded that his church participate in the ordinances of baptism and communion. And and what this gets down to is it gets down to how the gospel teaches us that our obedience should be motivated, right? We do not participate in these ordinances or obey anything that Jesus said in order to be saved. We participate in these ordinances and obey Jesus because he has already saved us. And that is a distinction that is worth repeating. It's worth Repeating in our hearts, and it's worth repeating with our mouths. We need to remember that because all of us, in different various ways, are constantly pulled to the right and to the left into the ditches of righteousness by our own works, righteousness by our own way, boasting in ourselves. That's why the Bible constantly, in various ways, from different angles, tells us that that is not how all this works. That we cannot save ourselves. None of our good works are going to contribute. It's through the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection alone. Uh, Just one example of what I'm saying being clearly taught in Scripture, and, and we could spend a lot of time reading examples of this, but just one I'll read you. Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. So, I said I said that Jesus commanded his church to participate in these ordinances of, of communion and baptism. Well, where did he do that? Don't take my word. You didn't just take my word for it, did you? I hope not. Let's look at some verses, okay? So the first I'm going to show you is 1 Corinthians 11, and this is concerning Communion. Let me read this to you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so clearly, we have Jesus commanding, instituting this ordinance of communion, something we're called to do often together. When it comes to uh, baptism, I almost said baptism. When it comes to baptism, I've been hanging out with Max too much. Matthew 28 records the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before ascending into heaven. That's these. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him. That's a good reaction. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the simplest answer to why followers of Jesus are baptized is that Jesus commanded that we be baptized. And really... We could stop there, but let's not. Let's continue. In addition to that, baptism preaches the gospel to those who are observing, both believers and unbelievers, and it symbolizes Christ's death and resurrection, that we have joined him in these things by the work of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, baptism is a sign to the family of God that someone's profession of faith in Christ is real because they are willing to declare publicly and without shame that they are disciples of King Jesus and we do that through water baptism that's why it's not done in a closet somewhere it's done in front of witnesses amen so we've talked about water what water baptism is we've talked about why we are water baptized the last question we're going to answer is how are we baptized and so we're going to look at two major points underneath this heading the method of baptism and the timing of baptism. So first is the method. Now, before I tell you how we baptize here at Love City and why, I want to say that this is not something we argue with other believers about, okay? We think there is pretty clear scriptural evidence for doing it the way we do it, but this is not a closed-handed issue or something worth fighting with other faithful Christians about, okay? So Here at Love City, we baptize by immersion, okay? That means we dunk people all the way, right? Real good. Get them all wet. Amen. We dunk them. Now, some faith traditions baptize by sprinkling water over the person. And for us, this doesn't seem to best fit what the Bible describes baptism to be. So why do I say that? Well, first of all, the best translation of the Greek word baptizo, from which we get baptize or baptism, is literally to dip or dye or immerse something, right? It's almost the idea of taking like uh, a white piece of cloth, dipping it down into like some purple dye, right? What happens, in, it goes down, comes up another way, right? So that, that is in there. Uh, it, it's very hard to get from that word, the idea of sprinkling. In addition to that, in Matthew 3, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, it was done in the Jordan River. Okay, And the description uh, has Jesus coming up out of the water. Now, we need to say this. John's baptism was one of cleansing and repentance for the Jews of the time. Uh, There's lots of debate as to why Jesus submitted to baptism. You remember John was shocked by it, if you remember the account. Jesus comes up as if he's going to have, you know, John the Baptist says, you baptized me, what do you mean? (laughs) man?" Because he knew who Jesus was. Uh, But Jesus told him, let it be permitted at this time. For righteousness to be fulfilled, and so there's there's debate among theologians. You know, this is the thing that theological nerds like to argue about. Why did Jesus submit to baptism? The, the Bible doesn't make it totally clear. Uh, probably has something to do with fulfilling uh, Isaiah 53 and, and some other things. But we don't have time to get into all that. The point is the mode or the method that John the Baptist was baptizing with. Uh, he was he was dunking people in the Jordan. Okay, so. Uh, <clears throat> The purpose of John's baptism was not the same as believers' baptism now, but the method is helpful for us to see God's intent for the mode of baptism or the method, okay? The last thing I'm going to say on this, and there's a lot more that could be said, but I think this is enough for us to know that there's at least a good reason for us to go through the effort of immersing people when we baptize them. I'm going to read you Acts 8, 26 through 40. This is the account of Philip meeting the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay? Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, "'Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah." for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This text, it also helps us answer the second question of timing when it comes to baptism. The first thing we want to see as we look at that account is the eunuch said, there is water, and they both got down into the water. You understand? So it wasn't, that wouldn't have been necessary if Philip was just going to scoop some and sprinkle it on him, right? So both guys were getting down in the water. uh, The connotation there being that uh, that eunuch was about to get dunked by Philip. And so that's... Just one account, there's a few more in Acts uh, and some other places that would help us understand that probably the early church practice uh, of baptism happened by immersion, okay? So that's that, but this text with the Ethiopian eunuch, it it helps us break into the second question because we're going to do two, right? Method of baptism and timing. And this is, again, it's not something that we're looking to argue with people about, but it is important that you understand why we do things the way we do them. You know, we shouldn't just, some of you may not have even been aware that some people sprinkled to baptize. Maybe you were saved uh, a part of a church or a part of this church and all you've ever seen is people be immersed and you just thought that's the way everybody does it. And that's fine. Uh, But some of you maybe have been a part of other faith traditions or you've seen people get sprinkled and you're like, well, what's going on there? Are we doing it right? Or why do we do it that way? Hopefully you're asking those questions And hopefully, you're looking for answers from God's Word. So that's what we're doing today. We're getting those answers. Amen? So when we look at uh, timing, we're not going to argue with other believers about that either. But but we do have a stance here uh, that we believe is informed by what the Scriptures teach. Okay? That's the way we're getting uh, all of our stances (laughs) from the Scriptures. Okay? Um, So it was only after that this, this eunuch heard the good news about Jesus, which he believed that he was baptized, heard the good news of the gospel, believed, then was baptized. And this is a consistent pattern we see throughout the New Testament. People coming to faith in Jesus and then being baptized. So this means here at Love City, we do not practice infant baptism, okay? Um, We're going to have a child dedication next week, actually. And so if you haven't seen stuff on social media about that, and you have a little baby you'd like to dedicate to the Lord... Well, they don't even have to be a little baby. Any child can be dedicated. Uh, What we're doing there is is not the same as baptism. Uh, What child dedication is, is a public declaration by the parents of their intent to raise their children in the faith. It's not a guarantee that they will, that those children will go on in the faith, right? And so we do child dedication. We see precedent for that in the scriptures, but we don't do infant baptism. We don't believe that infants have the ability to declare faith in Jesus, and that's why we don't water baptize them. Belief in Jesus, then baptism. That is the consistent New Testament pattern. Now, earlier I told you that there's some parallel between Old Testament circumcision as a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham and believers' baptism. There definitely is parallel. Uh, believer's baptism is the sign of the new covenant for followers of Jesus. And so I want to read you these scriptures so we can show uh, why some Christians baptize infants, but I also want to be able to show you out of those why we see that differently. So I want to be fair to, there's some very faithful brothers and sisters in the faith that are, are, you know, pedo-baptism is is a part of how they worship and they believe it's accurate. And and so I I don't want to be unfair, um, and I want you to understand you know, as best we can in a short amount of time, some of why that exists, but also why we still don't do it, okay? I'm going to read you verses, from, uh, these verses, Romans 4, 9 through 12, okay? This is a little, uh, this is Paul unpacking some, some theology here, he's reaching to the Old Testament to do it, so, you know, if you checked out, come back, listen, because you're going to need to, or else you're, I'll lose you here. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Well, how then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. So you with me so far? Paul's beginning an argument. (laughs) He, (laughs) He don't have any problem arguing. So he's arguing, Abraham was called righteous. How? By faith. When did that happen? Before he was circumcised or after? He's saying before. So the point that he's making, the argument he's making, he's pushing back against uh, a group known as Judaizers, or there was, you know, different names, um, some more pejorative than others, but groups of people that were saying, okay, you still have to maintain all the Old Testament precedent, the law, circumcision, all that if you want to follow Jesus. And that really ticked Paul off. He spent a lot of time in his letters throwing shade about that mess right there, okay? Paul was not having that. So this is one of those times. So he's making the point. Abraham was called righteous before he was circumcised. Okay, that's all he said thus far. <clears throat> Verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. What do he say? So he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness, a sign of the righteousness of faith. It was not the vehicle by which he was called righteous, and that was so that he could be the father of those who would come after him and not be called righteous by circumcision, but by faith. That would include, hopefully, you and me. Okay? Verse 12, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. So Paul just said the same thing again, a different way. He's just beaten that horse to death. Okay? So that's, he's making this argument. So, how does this tie into baptism? Why are we talking about it? We see here that circumcision was the sign of the old covenant, okay? And circumcision was performed on infant males, okay? The logic then follows that baptism being the sign of the new covenant could be for infants as well, okay? So this is a proof text. This is a linchpin for people that believe infants should be baptized, okay? But here's what we need to consider. Here's why we don't This text doesn't lead us to that conclusion. The major difference here is the criteria of how God brought together his covenant people in the Old Testament versus the criteria of how he brought together his covenant people in the New Testament. Okay? It's different how he does that. All right? God's covenant people in the Old Testament were ethnic descendants of Abraham. As soon as a child was born of his lineage, they were included. Okay, so if if you were you know was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then he's got all those sons. If you if you were born out of that lineage, you were in, you were a part of God's covenant people through Abraham. Okay, so it was an ethnic thing. It was part, all one family that God was using to ultimately bring about His purposes in Christ. Right. So that was how God did it. But that's that makes a lot of sense, right? If it's through a lineage, if it's through a family line, well, it makes sense then that the infants would be marked. You, you know, as soon as they're born, that they're related to Abraham somehow, you know, Wh- whichever the 12 tribes they were, they still were tied to Abraham, okay? But participation in the new covenant under Christ is not based on ethnicity, okay? Let me read you Galatians 3, starting in verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. You see, friends, it is now by faith that we become the people of God. It's by faith that we become the people of God. It's now by faith that we are Abraham's descendants. It is now by faith that we become heirs of the promise. It is by faith that we belong to Christ. And baptism is the sign that we belong to him. Amen. We don't believe here that there's a certain age where it is appropriate to baptize a believer. We just believe each person should be old enough to truly grasp the beautiful truth of the gospel To trust in Jesus by faith and be saved by his grace before they are baptized. That is our position. We believe it's a biblical one. Water baptism is an important part of walking the path that every disciple of Jesus should travel. It represents the glorious truth that our old, foolish, and sinful nature is put to death as we go down into the water. And that we are being raised up with Christ, victorious over sin and death as we place our faith in his merciful grace. We see this marvelous truth on display every time someone makes a public declaration of their allegiance to Jesus through water baptism. I want to pray this prayer of Paul over you as we think of these things. This is Ephesians 1, verses 18 through 20, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. See, friends, there's so much to the symbolism of going down into that water and coming back up. And so I'm hoping that as we talk about water baptism today, you're not just thinking about something that maybe you did 20 years ago, and you're not even, maybe you haven't been water baptized. I hope you're not just thinking about whether or not you're going to do that, but I'm hoping you're seeing the beauty of what it is, what it communicates, what it preaches when someone goes down into those waters and comes back up, that we, we die with Christ, but we also are raised with him. And that's the beautiful truth we see communicated here in Ephesians 1 as Paul prays this prayer. By the same power that rose Christ up out of the grave, it's at work in us now. It's doing its glorious, marvelous work in us, the people of God. To that, I say amen. To that, I say praise God. And I'm so thankful that we've been given this beautiful sign. That in water baptism, we can preach the truth, and the beauty of the gospel to ourselves, to one another in the household of faith, to the watching world. Hallelujah. Thankful. May we be a people who walk in all the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, our King. May we actively participate in the mission of making disciples, and may each of us have opportunities to teach others about the beautiful truths that water baptism represents for our good and his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for water baptism. Thank you that you knew, Lord, that we we needed ordinances. We needed these things to help us remember, to help us preach this great and glorious message you've given us. So we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to trust you by faith, to be translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light because of your mercy upon us, because of your grace alone. Thank you, Lord, that it's by your power and by the working of your spirit that we even come to a place of being able to receive saving faith as a gift. Thank you, God, when we, when we reach out and we take the gift of salvation by trusting you, that God, the next step is to declare that that has happened through water baptism. And so, Lord, I ask that as we continue to walk this disciple's path, Lord, that we would see these things that you've given us. We would see the significance. We would see the beauty and the depth. We would see how it communicates, not just one little thing, but it shows us the breadth and width and depth of your whole story, all of redemption unfolding from Genesis to Revelation. Thank you, God, for all of the beauty contained within the ordinance of baptism. God, I pray for the people that are here. Lord, if there's somebody here within the sound of my voice who has trusted you by faith that has been hesitant about entering into those baptismal waters, God, I ask that you would encourage them by your Holy Spirit to overcome whatever hesitation or fear would cause them to hold back from that. And may they joyously declare their allegiance to you by being water baptized. God, I also pray over the saints here at Love City Church, God, that all of what we've seen today in your scriptures, Lord, that these things would be written upon the tablet of our hearts so that we would not only be able to have a, foggy understanding of what water baptism is about, but we would be able to with confidence take others who are just beginning to walk in your ways, Lord, and teach them why water baptism is a right and good step for them. Lord, help us to rise to the challenge of of being teachers, being disciple makers. God, help us not to fall into the rut of consumerism and, and see things through the lens of what we prefer or what we think we need. But God, Help us to see that you have taken us out of an individualistic existence and you've brought us into your body, into your kingdom, into your family. And now our destinies are tied together and we have a collective mission and we are all working together, Lord, for your glorious reign, for your kingdom to be expanded in this earth and for as many people as possible to know the good king that reigns over that kingdom. It's you, Jesus. We love you and we worship you and we exalt you. We ask for your help in these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray all of them. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.